Hi friend, welcome to another episode of the 8,000 Promises podcast. I'm your host, A.D. Tilford. I'm a Jesus-led, trauma-informed educator, leader, and writer serving God in my local community and church. If you believe like I do that this world needs safe spaces to talk about God, faith in action, and complex topics so that transformative change can take place, this podcast is for you. You'll hear from a range of guests, experts in fields of psychology and faith, and everyday friends with meaningful stories to tell. In this series, you'll hear deep conversation and supplemental writings from people who are amplifying voices, partnering with God in ways that help others know that God sees and hears every person, including you. So when you're ready, lean in and embrace what God has for you today. Let's go. Hi, it's Aidy. Welcome to this episode of Ignite Insight, a specialty concept within the 8,000 Promises podcast for this season anyway, in which I've invited writers, speakers, podcasters, human life livers to reflect on the series topic, Amplify, God Sees and Hears Everyone, and to share their response to the topic through some kind of writing. Today, my guest writer is a podcaster as well, and she is a friend I met through the She Speaks online conference, and it's been cool just to get to know her. She's a fellow adoptive mom, and she has a real heart for trauma-informed education, which includes being an anti-racist, and I'm really excited to showcase her work today and let you hear her voice. I like how this is falling in the midst of Black History Month, and this week's newsletter will also be sort of a shout out for Black History Month and the Black voices that have been heard on the 8,000 Promises podcast in the past. And it's just a good time to remember that we have a lot of work to do still when it comes to the civil rights movement and ensuring equity and justice for all people in our nation and in this world. Sam and I went to a Chautauqua performance that the local writers organization and our local Chautauqua organization partnered with Colorado Humanities Black History Live Tour and an actress writer by the name of Becky Stone came and presented the life and story of Rosa Parks through the perspective of Rosa Parks. It was so good. I felt a lot of emotion. I felt felt so much inspiration. I'm so grateful for women and men who have gone before us to stand up or in this case sit down for what is right, to nonviolently work to change law and face injustice. And it was interesting because someone in the audience asked at the end of the performance when Becky Stone was talking to us about Rosa Parks' life and all of her study and work, someone asked something about the ending of civil rights or what it was like after civil rights movement ended. But Becky Stone said what is so very real and what Kristen is going to talk to you about in her essays that this civil rights movement is very much alive and there is still a lot of work to be done. And I just really appreciate our guest author, Kristen, today 
talking about how so many of us are well-intentioned but ill-informed and one of the things we need to do is to become more informed about issues of injustice and that means racial injustice that means injustice because of trauma histories and just I mean so many things it's hard sometimes I get so overwhelmed by how much I don't know and I have to remember that even learning one new thing about one specific topic is helping make the world a little bit better and I will quote a guest that's going to be on my next series series five she and I were texting and we were talking about as we keep learning more how so often we can really feel a lot of guilt and shame but that grace is incredibly important and so my friend Lori Holden she said essentially that in addition to the repair that we need to make as we learn new things we also have to practice grace because we can only know so much about each topic and Maya Angelou said this as we learn better we need to do better and so I hope that you can listen in with an open heart and a curious mind as Kristen encourages you to think about maybe where you need to keep getting more informed. And so with all of that said, uh, here's a little bit more about today's guest writer. Kristen runs Kyungozi Consulting, an LLC that trains people and organizations in trauma-informed care. She is also the executive director of Friends of Ruanzori, a nonprofit that supports an NGO in Uganda. Her lifelong commitment to advocating for and empowering underserved communities of all stripes has seen her work with communities, including U.S. veterans, families living under the poverty line, at-risk youth, and HIV plus communities in Africa. Kristen believes that the church should be a place for healing, a place that stands for the oppressed and vulnerable and should be the bedrock of justice. She believes we can create a body of believers who don't re-traumatize and who understand how deeply we have hurt our brothers and sisters. As a solo mom to three young men, Kristen added to her family by adopting through the foster system. Hearing the call to establish a voice around trauma, race, adoption, and parenting, all grounded in her faith, she is under the constant supervision of two exceptionally friendly dogs and two strong-willed cats. Kristen lives in Novato, California, and is a diehard 49ers, Giants, and Warriors fan. While not doing mom-dependent study with her youngest or wrangling one of many home improvement projects, Kristen can be found whipping up some baked goods, working on a new podcast, or hiking in the warm Northern California hills. Kristen holds both a Bachelor of Science degree and teaching credentials from Wheaton College in Illinois, and a Master of Science from San Diego State University in Marriage and Family Counseling, and is working toward a master's in theology and social justice at Northeastern Seminary. You can find Kristen at www.kristenannette.com. All of that is in the show notes. Also, Kristen has a fledgling podcast, Jesus, Justice, and Mercy. May her writing help ignite insight. Here's Kristen. The last three years have been a season where I struggled to write, so I ask that you indulge me as I returned to some writing from the early COVID years, which I didn't know was a season of God leading me to the work I am doing now. This work that strives to amplify the voices of those who cannot always speak for themselves or are often not heard. 
this work that I hope always points people to Jesus and creates a safe place for us to be the salt and light that he intended for a hurting world. Thanks for listening. From the year 2020. I sent them out the door in the nearly 90 degree heat, which is a heat wave here in Northern California. Our relatively liberal little town, nestled 30 minutes north of the Golden Gate Bridge, is the perfect place to be able to walk out the front door and hit open space on foot within minutes. Yet today, I hesitated. They wanted to get out. They needed to get out. Day 75 of shelter in place, and yes, I am a rule follower. But my middle child was wearing a hoodie with a ski buff around his neck, in case he ran into someone and needed a face shield. A hoodie. In 80-plus degree weather and my youngest wanted to bring his pocket knife, which I promptly nixed, while wearing a mask. And my kids have brown skin, so I hesitated. They talked about climbing trees at the park, and I warned them to be careful. Not because I was worried they would fall, they are 14 and 15, but because they honestly had to think twice about someone calling the cops on them. Incredulously, my youngest asked, Mom, do you think we are going to fall? When I voiced my concerns. How do I word that I'm worried that someone could call the cops and that it would end badly? I thought maybe hashtag killed while climbing trees is not a hashtag I want to add to the growing list that people of color need to think about in order not to get killed. I thought that I had only been at this for five years. Only five years. My black and brown friends and mamas, I am so sorry. I cannot imagine how exhausted you must be. I cannot imagine spending a lifetime in skin that just happens to have a color that can get you killed. Mamas, I see you. Every day, from the time your boys are past being cute and become threatening, just because. I am so sorry. I've been playing with what my voice is in all of this for quite some time now. I have written intermittently about raising my boys of color and my learnings, but how many more stories need to hit the news where I feel I just need to address this before I figure out what to do? For heaven's sake, I just wrote about Ahmaud Arbery a few weeks ago, and now we have Christian Cooper and George Floyd. So where is a white woman who is slowly understanding her privilege do I go? No one thinks they are a racist. I can post indignant thoughts and musings on social media and get likes and pushback, but until we, as white people, and particularly as white Jesus-loving Christians, start to understand what it is to be black or brown in this country, Things will never change. It seems almost trendy to stand with our brothers and sisters and act outraged, but unless I am acting on this, I realize nothing will change, and I have failed. A prominent yet controversial in most conservative circles woman wrote a post this week. Her wording resonated. I devoured every word because this is reality. Here I sit, under my ceiling fan typing, in hopes that one person might take a deep breath and address the words that we don't speak out loud. I think about the words and quotations from her opening paragraph. I felt threatened, and he resisted, and she did not comply, and he matched the description, and I was afraid for my life, what she calls code words for modern-day white supremacy. All the excuses people make for rationalizing yet another person of color's untimely death or harassment. I realize cannot begin to change the world until I address the implicit bias within myself. We all have it. The difference is in whether we decide to address it. This part isn't easy, at least not for me. To challenge the notion of how things should be and how we support the status quo by staying quiet. 
to challenge myself that I can have thoughts that are intrinsically biased. I need to look in the mirror and figure out where those thoughts came from and to question on what basis they are grounded. To listen to my friends of color, to listen to their stories, really listen, and not just make assumptions that they are paranoid and overreacting because it makes it easier for me as a white person if this isn't real. Because folks, this is real. Our brothers and sisters are hurting. They are tired. They are burdened. And they are afraid every time they walk out the door. Every time. I've been trying to find a great Bible story that integrates my faith with all of this. And I'm coming up blank. Except that I know that this is not how Jesus would want the world to be. We are living in a broken world. And the hope of Jesus is the only thing I can cling to on some days. Some other blogger or podcaster will come up with a great parallel, but I don't want to let that hold me back right now. I don't want to wait too long to post this before I second-guess myself and get chicken. We can scream and shout about our rights being trampled because we are asked to wear a mask or we can't get our hair cut. But does that matter one iota if your fear is getting killed when you walk out the door? Maybe you think I am overreacting. Maybe you claim that you aren't racist and that there is always a reason that someone of color died. The list of reasons is long, something a person did or did not do. But I have never once worried that my life or the life of my oldest would be put in jeopardy by leaving the house and that I would have to legitimize every action I took or every action my kids took to make our lives worthwhile. Nobody thinks they are a racist. Maybe racism, the word, is where we go wrong because it is so loaded with our fraught history of taking land from the indigenous Americans and our history of slavery. But I am challenging myself to do better, to do more. This cannot be the story of the America that I love. This cannot be the story of humanity. This cannot be the story of Christians not shouting from the tops of mountains in order to move them. I reread posts from earlier this month and can hardly believe I am writing this again. I breathe a sigh of release as my boys walk back into the house, sweaty and unharmed. My sisters and brothers, I hear you. I see you. I cry with you. And once again, I vow to do better. And we as the church of Jesus-loving people need to do better because the pain we inadvertently cause is real. I typically don't post photos for things like Siblings Day. Sometimes these things are complicated. I lost my little brother to cancer when he was just 35 years old. It has now been almost 25 years. How odd time is. But sometimes it is thorny to post things. I know I'm not the only one. It reminds me of how complicated people's lives are. And often things that are done with good intent cause unintentional harm. I've been thinking a lot about what my ministry is around foster care and adoption and childhood trauma and race. And the phrase that keeps coming back to me is serving the well-intentioned but uninformed. A few weeks ago, my youngest moved back home from another stint in a group home to continue healing, which is another story for another time. He was so excited to rejoin his youth group. This move home coincided with the exact weekend of the California lockdown, and our church pivoted beautifully to a Zoom youth group. The leaders all shouted excitedly as each kid logged in. The first game, a virtual scavenger hunt. Go find a shoe. Go find a piece of fruit. A fun idea had him running all over the house, slipping down the hallway in socks about three days late from needing to be thrown in the hamper. But then it came. Go get a baby picture. Um, 
Okay, we don't have one of those, and we never will. He looked at me and just shrugged. Then the finale. Bonus points. Go get your dad to say hi in the camera. Um, okay, we don't have one of those either. He anxiously laughed into the computer, looked at me and shrugged again. He continued to play, but hasn't been back since. When I asked him why he didn't want to log in the following week, he said, they don't see me. Now, I know some of this is just the result of a big group of middle schoolers clamoring for attention online, but I can't help but think if it was something else. And I can't help but think that maybe there was another kid on there who didn't have a dad with them, or for some reason didn't have a baby picture. Well-intentioned, but uninformed. For those of you who are paying attention, how can we not? The virus changed our lives. Some good. We actually had two dinners where everyone ate the same thing at the same time in the same place. This, in our house, is the equivalent of a small miracle. The youngest and extremely reluctant learner is benefiting from a very loose start time for school and focused short learning times. Some social media has become enjoyable again as a place to connect with people, and for the most part right now, the politics have subsided. I did see one post about the stimulus checks. A friend forwarded a comment stating, Maybe the government should stop taking taxes out of working people's checks for the remainder of the year instead of giving money to people who don't work. It took every ounce of strength for me not to type the response that I wanted to. I will be getting a check. I have three kids. I work two jobs, one of which has been furloughed for now, and this check will help me pay my mortgage next month. Well-intentioned, but uninformed. And of course there have been the tougher things. Three boys in a semi-small house, one being an adult, create some tension. But honestly, the other small sacrifices that I could complain about really are insignificant in the greater scheme of things. Because I can't help but think about all the rest of life that is going on. On top of not having work, and the social isolation, and the fear of running out of Clorox wipes and toilet paper, people still have cancer. Pets are being put down. Parents are fighting over custody. People are fighting regular illnesses. And there are still households full of people who were fighting poverty even before all this. On any given day when this quarantine is pushing your last nerve, take a breath and think about the impact this is having on our foster children. There are kids in foster care who are no longer able to have visits with their bio parents or siblings, who have coming from trauma, are having a terrible time regulating with all the uncertainty. There are foster parents who are taking in kids who have nowhere else to go. Our social workers and foster parents are among the heroes right now, supporting some of our most vulnerable. I would also be fully remiss not to write about the implications of race throughout the pandemic. I read another post and then see an article about how black men are fearful to wear homemade masks in public. Think about it and be honest. A dark-skinned man with a bandana tied around his face walking into a store does not necessarily conjure up feelings of peace. Consciously or unconsciously, we have a bias. I thought about it when going to the store with my middle child. Hoodie up, mask on his face, dark skin. Type black men homemade masks into your Google search bar if this doesn't make sense to you or isn't part of your world. As tweeter Aaron Thomas put it, I don't feel safe wearing a handkerchief or something else that isn't clearly a protective mask covering my face to the store because I am a black man living in this world. I want to stay alive but I also want to stay alive. Let that sink in. On top of this, I can't even begin to talk about the complex reasons black people are dying at much higher rates from COVID-19 than white people. 
Austin Channing Brown wrote a great post on the reality of systemic racial injustice that is exacerbated right now for people of color. I hear off-the-cuff comments about these things from those I love. Put these things together, well-intentioned, but uninformed. So here we are as we finish up Easter week, the holiest of weeks for Christianity that includes Passover, both holidays that celebrate the power of life and celebrate the life of Jesus, who was the perfect example of serving people. It is a week that we will all look back on as that Easter. And in my intention to keep thinking about how Jesus would respond to all this, the verse that keeps popping into my head is Matthew twenty-five forty, And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. I want to remember to keep my petty complaining to myself and remember how life is exponentially tougher for so many others. And this time, too, can be an opportunity for me to get just a little bit more informed and to make sure that I really see people and that I honor and respect their stories. Because I always want to be chasing Jesus, and that is what I think he would do. Reverend Rhythm's professional touring dance company will be premiering their newest production, Little Red, on March 8th and 9th in Grand Junction, Colorado. Through artistic expression, athletic feats, and passionate character portrayal, this production sheds light on human trafficking through a family-friendly, non-traditional telling of Little Red Riding Hood. This production will have you on the edge of your seat as you watch Little Red's story unfold on stage. Learn more at reverentrhythms.com.